live. Kasa live, you guys. Every time, every time we start the show, I always say live and Alex smiles. Every time. <laughs> I dare somebody to go back and do like a montage of every Kasa live opening and you will see me say live and Alex smile immediately after that. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. We are officially live. Uh, I hope everybody out there is doing well. Mallory Gates in chat. We see you. Hey, how you doing? Skip, homicidal maniac. Uh, who else is here? Mowgli. Hello, Mowgli. Welcome. Uh, Mark is here. Uh, Adrian is here. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for uh, joining us this Saturday. Hope everybody out there is doing well. I hope anybody out there in the Northeast right now, like New England or um, what the Car some of the Carolinas, the coast is getting hit really bad right now um, by weather, weather storm, winter storm, Keenan. I don't know. I'm way Blizzard. too in. Blizzard Keenan. Yeah. Blizzard Keenan. Hellstorm Keenan riding up the coast right now. Um, I hope everybody out there is doing well. I hope everybody was prepared for that. But. First things first, let's do some hey, how are you? And I'm going to start with Kristen this week. Kristen, <laughs> hey, how are you? Good. I'm doing well. Uh, hopefully next week we're going to be meeting the grandbaby. And mm. uh, I've been hearing all about grandbabies. But, <laughs> but we haven't got yep. to see any grandbabies. Not yet. yet not yet. Uh, we thought so maybe close. this weekend. Thought maybe this weekend. But then my son was sick, so it didn't happen. Um it's also been extremely cold. We've had like negative 30 degree weather. So that's been fun. Ouch. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's uh, just been sort of same old, same old. <laughs> yeah, right on. All right. Well, Alex, hey, how are cold. you? I'm cold. <laughs> you don't know cold. <laughs> I don't. And, I, and, 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 you know, I, I'm not going to try to compare cold. I'll just say <laughs> it's cold here. We're in single digits. We've been in negative digits. It's pretty persistent. I'm looking forward to anything above 32 degrees. Um, I, I don't know how how much of the lake is frozen, but it's frozen. Uh, everything is crunchy. Uh, the the appeal of soft, fluffy snow, as uh, Mowgli Vapes uh, mentioned, uh, we don't have that here anymore. The snow that landed stayed around. And it is just bitter cold outside and inside because our heating system sucks. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, rough. <laughs> we have no insulation. A, I'm fortunate <laughs> to have a house with good heat and good insulation. I only have a few small icicles. That's always the telltale, right? Whether a house has good insulation or not is the icicles that you get. For people that don't know, if you see a house that has really big icicles, you can go, oh, yeah, their roof, they have terrible insulation. That's how you know. <laughs> That's how you know. Um, but yeah, here we we're kind of like you, Alex. We have we've had a ton of snow these past two weeks. I've just been that's all I've been doing is just dealing with snow almost daily, like basically daily. I've had like a day off in the last two weeks. Otherwise, it's just been snow. And uh, and I'm, I'm on the fence like I, I would love a January thaw right now, which is something we regularly get, which is which is good, especially in my line of work dealing with snow, because now we have more room again to put snow uh, because I am rapidly running out of place to put places to put snow. Um, <laughs> but the downside, if we were to get a thaw, like a good, real, like standard New York one to two weeks of like 40 to 50 degree weather thaw over here, we would just have flooding. I mean, we would have a massive mm. problem on our hands. And so I'm kind of like, 
do we want to thaw? Is it just going to cause more problems? I kind of don't want to thaw, but I'm also like, okay, now I need to bring in equipment to get rid of these snow mounds that I've built, you know, on the side Jeez. of people's houses and decks and all sorts of places. It's, it's getting kind of rough here. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a heck of a January. I'll give it that. We started December here really mild. And everybody yeah. was like, oh, it's going to be a really mild winter. And I was like, no, bro. Like every time we have a really mild December, January comes in and it's rough. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's counter to what uh, some of the predictions that were given out before winter started, which is that this was going to be a much colder winter than than I guess yeah. we're accustomed to. And, and sure enough, we've gotten all these Arctic blasts. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was some, every prediction that I saw for like this area was like, it's going to be a mild winter, you know, it's going to be, we probably won't get a ton of snow, all this and that. And I was like, yeah, okay. How long have you lived in Western New York? <laughs> like, are you kidding? We have two massive lakes next to us. Like it doesn't work that way, but here we are buried in the snow. Anyways, I think we can, uh, I think we can move swiftly along as one of Alex's favorite words there, and get into some <laughs> legislation. What do you think, Alex? Are you ready? Let's do the thing. Do the thing. Okay, that was weird. Was that weird for anybody else? Because that was weird the way it played on my end. It sounded a little faster than normal. Okay, I don't know. I apologize if my computer just decided to do things <laughs> on its own <laughs> incorrectly, but... Either way, you guys get the hint. We are here for legislation. Alex, what do you have for us this week? What do we need to keep our eyes and ears on? Well, uh, I've got a little bit of a, a, a streamlined version here so that we can just, you know, get to it. Um, but uh, I'll start in Washington State. Um, we sent out a call to action for this yesterday. Um, this is Senate Bill 5768. Uh, and uh, it, it had some trouble coming up with a catchy headline here that would fit on, uh, you know, social media posts and whatnot where <laughs> things get truncated. Um, so if you just see stop unelected health officials, hopefully that have, uh, it motivates you to take some action here, because that is kind of what the Washington legislature is proposing to do here, handing uh, authority over to the Department of Health. Uh, and uh, giving them the uh, authority to do things like ban flavors, establish nicotine caps. Um, I think there might have been some stuff about marketing. Uh, no, not marketing. Um, uh, ban the use of nicotine salts um, and uh, also require manufacturers to uh, disclose all of the ingredients in their products. It would be housed on a list managed by the University of Washington School of Public Health. Um, the, the, the point here, of course, is that the Department of Public Health is a collection of unelected bureaucrats and giving them this kind of authority is dangerous. Um, and, uh, they can choose to ban flavors for any public health emergency of their choosing. Uh, and this is not something that would necessarily be opened up for uh, robust public debate and discussion. Uh, and so... Uh, Kassah is opposed to this bill, uh, 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 people on the ground are opposed to this bill, and the engagement is live on our website. You're looking at it right now. Um, this is, again, for folks in Washington. We, we put out a call to action, I believe, last, last week for a different bill, 
Um, but this is kind of the same thing uh, with the exception of this is not a finance committee. Um, but the most direct way for people to get involved in this is to uh, comment on, uh, well, to use the same kind of sign up process that we did before uh, in Washington. Uh, you can just select from the Senate committee sign in, health and long term care committee. You get the drop down here. This meeting is for, uh, it's Monday, right? Is it the 31st? Oh, I got to check my calendar here. Uh, Monday. So coming up on Monday, the 31st, there's a meeting in the Senate Health and Long-Term Care Committee at 1.30 p.m. You can select that, and here's your uh, agenda items. Five, seven, six, eight vapor products is what you're going to want to navigate to, and uh, you can select here, would you like to testify remotely, uh, your position motive, uh, noted for the legislative record, and you can submit written testimony. You can choose any one of these. Uh, if you want to submit testimony, it's not an obligation to show up and speak. Um, and of course, you can go on to uh, the easiest thing for anybody to do. And, and what we're you know, encouraging folks to do uh, is to just note your position. Um, and, uh, you know, this is very simple, pro, con or other um, and uh, list all of your information here. Uh, they will ask for your phone number and your personal information. This is pretty standard for legislatures. Um, they want to make sure that you are a constituent uh, or just that you're a real person. Uh, so um, that is SB 5768. Take action. Tell them you're opposed to the bill. Use the options provided on the website. Um, and of course, uh, as with a lot of our other engagements, if this goes any further, um, you know, we'll 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 rally. The call in the Calvary, 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 however you say it, uh, and uh, and get people sending uh, messages to their lawmakers. But for right now, we need people communicating with the committee and um, take advantage of the resources that the Washington State Legislature website provides. Um, that is the most direct and efficient way to get in touch. So <clears throat> that is Washington State. Uh, moving up the coast. <laughs> To Alaska. Uh, I was, was going to say going up the coast from Washington. Yeah, Alaska. Yep, that's, that's Alaska. Yep. Um, SB 45 is back. Um, oh, you may remember this from last, uh, from the first part of the session. This is a 75% wholesale tax. It is scheduled for a public hearing on Wednesday, February 2nd at 1 p.m. in the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, again, another state that uh, seems to enjoy making the legislative process accessible to their constituents. Uh, this will be teleconference. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, so uh, that's just kind of how Alaska does things because it's a massive state and people are spread out all over the place and people can't be expected to drive to the Capitol in order to testify. Um, but wouldn't it be great if we had these teleconferencing sites all over states in the rest of America? Um, uh, I think Nevada does it too, uh, but for Las Vegas. Um, so anyway, uh, this, like I said, 75% wholesale tax on vapor products. This includes devices and liquids. So the whole boat on your receipt gets the 75% wholesale tax, which is collected by, of course, the, well, the retailers pay it or whoever pays it. Uh, you don't see it as a line item on your receipt. Um, but this this would bring uh, vapor products in line with other tobacco products. This is not the same as a cigarette tax. Um, but of course, until public health officials wake up and start promoting these products to people, 
um, we really shouldn't be adding any more barriers like extra taxes onto these products to pay for tobacco control programs that don't um, actually educate Work. people. Um, <laughs> or, or, you know, yeah, I don't want to say they don't help because, of course, we can point to successes for some of these things. So anyway, that is February 2nd. Uh, if you are in Alaska, of course, take action. This email is set to go to the committee. Uh, so everyone in Alaska can participate in this and send in their opposition to the bill uh, and uh, get to Alaska. And thanks for participating. Uh, next on the list, we will navigate over to the state of Maine, getting pummeled by Blizzard Keenan today. Um, we've got a couple things going on here. Uh, first of all, uh, just to kind of review, uh, Portland, Maine is moving forward with a uh, ban on uh, uh, flavored vapor products. Uh, we have the, the kind of old information up here. There was a meeting on January 19th. This was really just a reading, and uh, I was not able to get the, the city's website to load earlier today. So uh, I don't know if there is anything scheduled yet, but uh, we are expecting a second hearing to be scheduled. That will be the opportunity for public comment at this time. Uh, they are accepting uh, written testimony or written comments from people, and uh, you can get to all that information, uh, I believe, looking in Portland's agendas in minutes. Um, uh, I'm probably missing some, some resources here for ways to people to get in touch. And now, of course, uh, the, the website is loading up properly. So anyway, uh, we'll update that with the, whatever necessary uh, channels for communication with uh, the city council uh soon and we are of course on the lookout for the second hearing so flavor ban in portland maine speaking of flavor bans we've got a couple going on in uh the state of maine right now uh we have it's kind of this old engagement up for ld 1550 um, haven't really updated this with any of the new information because it's just been carried over from last session. It's still in the same kind of posture it was and when they rounded out the first part of the session. Um, so uh, this is still active. If you are in Maine, by all means, take advantage of our engagement here and send your messages to lawmakers. But this is not the only thing working in Maine. And I am going to be putting out a call to action uh, probably Monday. Um, there's another bill, LD 1693. Uh, there is a flavor, flavor ban sort of embedded in here. Uh, this is an act to advance health equity, improve the well-being of all Maine people, and create a health trust without acknowledging the safer forms of nicotine consumption that many people are gravitating to and having success with. Um, so it's down here in part d uh it's it's flavor ban that's what it is it's flavor ban you don't need to read the whole thing uh if you want to if you if you really need to have your eyes glaze over then by all means peruse through the bill <laughs> um but i'll just give you the the pro tip here uh just do the uh control f do flavor and you will find the part in the bill where this is mentioned uh flavor ban uh, this is scheduled for a hearing on February 4th at 8 a.m. So I'll have that engagement coming out probably Monday. Uh, and so people in Maine can uh, get involved and tell the committee um, that they don't want this. 
Uh, I, did, I neglected to put any committee information in here. So um, let's see if I can find that status in committee. February 4th, um, Committee on Health and Human Services. So this has been sitting around for almost a year and uh, they're getting to it in the second part of the session. So February 4th, excuse me, did I say 8 a.m.? It's 9 a.m. Uh, and um, looks like we've already got some public testimony. Oh, well, none of it's available. Anyway, um, so Maine LD 1693, be on the lookout for that. If you are in Maine, we'll have the call to action up soon. Uh, I promised to keep this short. We have other things that are sort of in the heads up category. Uh, we did see someone ask us on Twitter uh, why uh, the um, uh, flavor ban bill in Colorado wasn't on this week's uh, post. It was on last week's post, and we are waiting to see uh, a schedule uh, for this to come up in, in, a, in a committee. Um, we don't want to fire off a, a bunch of passionate emails um, and then have people forget about it two weeks later when it actually gets scheduled. So um, we are keeping an eye on HB 1064 in Colorado. Uh, and of course, as we had mentioned previously, this is the uh, state level flavor ban that uh, some are sort of billing as a response to the Denver mayor vetoing the flavor ban there. Uh, it's not. They just always have this in their back pocket uh, and they're waiting for any reason to move forward with it. So. Um, that should conclude this week's legislative rundown. I'm putting Mississippi and uh, Indiana in there just so people have it. Yeah, these are all just just so everybody knows. Uh, you know, we we are watching several pieces of legislation, but uh, we're putting out calls to action in a, a timely manner when. Uh, the, the time is right for people to get engaged. And, and it, it is really beneficial when we get that sort of wave of communication to lawmakers. And so we want to make sure that that wave lands properly and at a good time. So if you're aware of a flavor ban bill, just double check and make sure, you know, it's usually just been introduced and referred to a committee. Uh, but if you do see things being scheduled uh, and we don't have anything up about it, by all means, drop us a note and, and we'll, we'll see what we can do to you know, get something out on time. And, uh, and that's that. Logan, you're on mute. Or we just can't hear you. No, I was muted. I was, okay. I was trying to give you the, the entire floor during your uh, your rundown. And yeah, like sometimes that might be just something like a, like a heads up in our blog or something like that until we actually get around to needing a full-blown call to action kind of situation. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I'll put a I'll put out a heads up as soon as I see something. So it may not even it, it may be something that's in the news and not even work anywhere close. Oh, spots. Anywhere close? Or, got it. Okay. Uh, not anywhere close to being ready for having a call to action or anything. And so that's why you may just see a heads up and not an immediate call to action because Alex has got to go look into it, see what all it entails and uh, where it's at in the process. And like he said, you don't want to necessarily jump in and start sending letters and stuff too quickly because we need to know what's going on. If it, if it may even just die in committee. So, you know, yeah, there's thought yeah. that goes behind this. We don't just all just go off half cocked everywhere. <laughs> and just on the topic of all the, uh, the bots that we've had in chat recently, you know that you've made it as an organization when you start getting Russian bots. In your <laughs> when Russian bots have invaded the channel, you've made it. 
<laughs> We're in the big leagues now, you guys. All right. Well, excellent, excellent rundown, Alex. Yeah, a lot going on in Maine right now. A lot going, not only snow, but a lot of legislation going on in Maine right now. Legislative blizzard. It's a, yeah, it's a legislative hellstorm that includes oh. snow, snow and bad legislation. What an awful <laughs> combination of things. I can't think of things, anything worse than a lot of snow and a lot of bad legislation at the same time. <sighs> All right. Well, now that we're through the rundown, who's ready to do some takes? Let's do it. Hot takes this week? We got hot takes this week. Let's do it. <laughs> So it's cold outside, but the takes are hot. I just don't know who's going first. Uh, I believe Kristen really is going I'm first, going right? first. Ooh, yep, I'm going okay. first. Kristen, then, then you, first. then Alex. Oh, then me? Yeah. I'm the middle Alex. child this week? You are the middle cool. child this All week. All right. Sorry, I dropped it in uh, private chat. You probably just didn't, uh, I didn't, I saw, I didn't catch it. I didn't, I didn't I know, see outside. anything. <laughs> I see it now. I see it now. I should probably look (laughs) at that once in a while. That's like full of information during the show that I need to know. And I'm always just like, I just need to see chat. I just need to see everybody else in chat. Okay. Well, I'm going to start off with, um, I suppose. (laughs) Congrats, I suppose. Um, So I'm going to start off. My take is on the American Lung Association's 20 Years of Tobacco Control Progress Report, um, which I give an F. No. (laughs) And a lot of people might have seen this stuff going around. Um, There was just a ton of news articles this week that were local local, uh, channels doing things like, you know, Arizona gets an F, uh, Maine gets an F, just, just, all the local ones or, or, or D or C or not doing enough or doing well or whatever. Um, and I think Lindsay said something about New Jersey, I think failing even with the flavor ban and the only one that did well was Massachusetts or something, you know? Um, but of course those are graded based on what they think is a valuable thing to do regardless of whether it works or not. Um, so I'm really just going to go this, the link is, uh, Actually, if you could share, one of you guys could share that link. Um, it's in the blog post as well. And uh, it kind of goes into their whole, uh, look at us, we're just so great. We give you all this stuff and information. But I'm just going to focus on this top, I guess, sort of introductory part. Um, just a lot of stuff just jumped out at me. One thing was uh, American Lung Association uh, revealed significant, pro- their report reveals significant progress in the work to end tobacco use, but products like e-cigarettes and other flavored tobacco products create concern for losing another generation to nicotine addiction. Just from that, from the get-go, I just want to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wasn't this all about smoking-related diseases? I thought that's what the whole thing, the tobacco control all started because people were dying from smoking. And Suddenly it's all about, we need to protect them from nicotine addiction. And that that's, and I know that Alex hates this word, but to me, that's a slippery slope example right there. Um, moving the goalposts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but they certainly did that. They certainly managed to go from, we're trying to help people quit smoking. We're, you know, we really care about these people. Uh, adults are dying. People, you know, they love to bring that 480,000 
people a year are dying from smoking related diseases, which by the way, they include secondhand smoke and there's absolutely no science behind that. They just picked a number. Um, but that's what they're, they're, what it was originally. It was all about helping adults who smoke not cut 10 years off of their life or whatever the average was. And now it's all about not losing, not having kids use nicotine, essentially. I mean, it has nothing to do with addiction. They like to throw that word addiction in there because it, it sounds scary to people. Because um, they know for a fact that most kids aren't being becoming addicted to anything through e-cigarettes. Because if they were, you would see smoking rates going up as you got into the 18 and 24 category. Um, in the past couple of years, a lot of these kids who were teens during the height of the epidemic are now young adults and we're not seeing young adult smoking rates going up. So it just blows it out of the water. Their claim that this is leading to addiction because if it was, we'd see these people addicted. Now do a couple people start vaping and they it's become a habit for them and they're dependent on it now? Yeah, probably. But there's a good chance those people could have started smoking instead as teens and be smoking right now. So we need to keep it in context perspective. Um, and they even talk about while the adult smoking rate has declined from 21.6% in 2003 to 14% in 2019. Don't ask me why they're just ignoring 2020. Um, could be because of the pandemic. I don't know. They're, they're trying to poo poo stuff that happened during the uh, pandemic. And close to 4.5 million youth use tobacco products in 2020. Keep in mind that includes e-cigarettes. Um, and more than 2 million high school and middle school students who reported using e-cigarettes in 2021. <clears throat> they make that sound like a big number, but A, it's used. That means they've tried. That means at least one puff. And uh, that doesn't mean that they're addicted or they're going to go on to keep using it. Because I'm sure a lot of those same kids drank alcohol at a party. That doesn't mean they're now alcoholics. You know, I mean, it's... It is interesting that they choose to end the adult rates at 2019 but highlight the youth usage in 2020 and to be fair i don't think they've done a survey yet i think 14 percent is the last number i saw from any government sources danielle would be a good person to know that she she yeah i'd be curious as to why i don't think i don't think they've done an adult one recently they might have had one in 2021 maybe and then we, so we were due for another report coming out soon. Um, but we know it's been going down. They, they, they did say cigarettes because I think the only data they really had in 20 for 2020 was the cigarette sales where you saw those articles saying, you know, or they is it because of the pandemic? People are smoking more. Did they buy more cigarettes to stock up because of shortages? You know, so they really can't explain why smoking, not smoking, cigarette sales ticked up a little bit in 2020. Right, um, which isn't always a clear indication of smoking rates. Like you said, it correct. could be a lot of people. I'm going to go buy two months worth of my cartons as opposed to two weeks or whatever, you know, because well, I'm yeah, going to be natural. stuck inside for the next forever. Yeah, it's human nature to do something like that. I mean, I know when the mail ban was coming on, I stocked up on e-liquid. You know? I mean, so, good Lord, you guys remember the toilet paper shortages of 2020? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know when that happened, but anyhow. <laughs> the great TP shortage. <laughs> the great TP shortages of 2020. Um, okay, so it talks about the state of tobacco control, evaluates state and federal policies and actions taken to eliminate tobacco use, the nation's leading cause of preventable death. The report recommends proven effective tobacco control laws and policies to save lives. 
I have yet to see that these are all proven effective because they talk about in the next sentence, um, the 2022 uh, report reveals that the country has made substantial progress advancing the state tobacco control policies over the past 20 years, including comprehensive smoke-free laws, which they admit, they admit does not get people to quit smoking and does not keep people from, keep people from starting smoking. <laughs> I mean, they admit that. The only thing it does is get secondhand smoke out of businesses. That's it. They know that it doesn't keep people from starting smoking. They have a theory that if kids don't see it, you know, in restaurants and stuff, but they won't. But as they're walking into the restaurant, they're seeing all the people huddled outside in the cold smoking. So that never made sense to me. You're kind of concentrating them all in one place and be like, here. Um, but anyhow, so smoke-free laws not been proven to do anything for helping adults quit smoking or keep kids from starting smoking. Increased tobacco taxes. Again, have not seen any proof that that actually keeps, that helps people quit smoking. Some people, some people who smoke will say on surveys and stuff that they made an attempt to quit smoking because of that. But we know since smoking rates didn't drop dramatically because of that, you know, because the people will say, well, I ended up going back. We also know there's reports out there about people who will adjust their food budget or whatever it is that they'll buy less stuff in order to account for their cigarette budget. So we know it's not keeping adults really, especially the hardest hit people from these taxes, people in the lower income brackets and, you know, the higher, um, they're suffering because they're still trying to buy these more and more and more and more expensive cigarettes. They're not, it's not getting them to quit smoking. Thankfully, a lot of people are switching to vaping. Um, for teens, it does seem, they say it does uh, have some kind of effect on the, um, them buying it if it gets more expensive but i really have a problem with that too because i don't know how they can say that because we know teens just like with vaping get a lot of the stuff from people they know they're not actually physically going to a store and having to pay for it um same with vaping and or they're just taking it from mom and dad's stash or you know they're getting it from a friend um and when they really do start to buy it they say that, th that this cost gives an effect, but kids have more disposable income. They don't have to pay rent. They don't have to buy groceries. They got a disposable income that they can weather these higher costs probably better than adults can. So I don't buy that taxes are really reducing. So that doesn't reduce I, anything. I, I did want to uh, insert a little factoid here um, oh. that may, that is an off-sided um, uh, justification for higher taxes on tobacco products, which is that a 1% rise in tobacco taxes leads to a 0.05% reduction in use. Um, right. Ooh, that's big. That's study available, but that's, that is the number that they throw out in support of that. Yeah, product. they like throwing that out, and I have yet <clears throat> to really see that. I mean, granted, if you do look at the states that have the highest um taxes they do tend to have like california has very low smoking rates you know um but then you look at other states like i think it was virginia who is an extremely low um tax rate i think it was virginia that i looked at that one time and yet it's uh smoking rate was lower than other states that had much higher tax rates so to me in my my thought is to get those taxes passed, they have to do a lot of education. A lot of people are smoking. You shouldn't smoke. It's bad. We want to do. So you see a lot of PR around it. And I think just like the main reason why smoking started going down in the first place with the Surgeon General's report 
was knowledge. It was, this is harmful, so we're not going to do it far more than any other punitive uh, policy that that is directed at people who smoke or to keep kids from smoking. I don't think it works any more than making like to like 21 and up for liquor works all that well for kids who determined to, to drink. Um, what really stopped that, you know, if you look at the, the, the mad campaigns, the drinking and driving stuff, it was awareness. It's, it was taking away some stigmatization, stigmatization. I don't know if that's a word. Am I making that up? Um, that of, of kids, you know, call if you if you're too drunk call you know you won't get in trouble you know things like that taking away that that fear helped with things like that and then things like seat belts and airbags and hey what's that called car reduction um but yeah so so that's not that's not one you know and then then more americans with access to treatments to help them quit smoking through state medicaid programs well okay well we do know, know people who are on Assistants and stuff tend to be more likely to smoke, but we also see all these reports about how people don't want to tell their doctors that they smoke, that they hide it because, you know, from their employers and stuff, because they don't want to get hit for the higher insurance costs. They don't want to get scolded by the doctor. Um, a lot of those, you know, they should just go watch birds, you know, so th this whole idea, it just this whole idea that they're proven successful to me is baloney. I was going to use a different B word, but I'll say baloney for this, for this time. So then they say, unfortunately, our progress on tobacco control policy has not been equal. We continue to see an unequal burden of tobacco use in communities experiencing health disparities. Menthol cigarettes uh, remain a key factor for tobacco-related death and disease in Black communities, with close to 81% of Black Americans who smoke using them. Ending the sale of flavored tobacco products, including menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars, will not only help end the youth vaping epidemic, they think it will, first of all, the, the epidemic is over if there ever, there wasn't one, clearly, but there wasn't one. But the, the highest number that they had to be able to call it an epidemic is is no more. It's going down. It's gone down the past two years. So just continue to call it epidemic is ridiculous. And the fact that flavors had anything to do with it, we know that's been disproven because their own government reports say flavors were not the main reason why the kids were trying them. And we also know that very few kids did it more than a couple times. They didn't become frequent users or regular users. Uh, but will also help address the disproportionate impact of menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars in black and brown communities. And we've had many discussions before on menthol and flavor bans and how it's just going to make things worse in these communities. It's going to raise, you know, crime and because now you're going to have a black market for cigarettes and it's and menthol bans have not been proven to work. Most people just switch over to regular. You're going to start seeing cigarette flavoring things. And now these people are going to be not smoking menthol cigarettes. You're going to be smoking filterless, regular cigarettes that are possibly made in somebody's basement. Um, and they'll be adding stuff to it to taste like menthol. I mean, because that'll be so much better. And most people said they haven't, weren't going to quit. And then they throw in there, of course, you know, indigenous peoples, lesbian, gay, and bisexual adults, all these people who have already made it pretty clear they're not planning on quitting. You know, they're the ones that have the highest rates of smoking and there's something there that they need that and they would benefit the most from switching to vaping. 
Um, of course, it goes on to talk about how new products like e-cigarettes have emerged and little cigars have become more popular, which threaten the progress, progress made. The little cigar things just made me laugh. Why are they switching to little cigars, do you think? Why are they doing that? Because they taste good? No, because you're making cigarettes so impossible for them to get and so much more expensive, people are switching to little cigars because you haven't been able to do the same things with the little cigars that you've done with cigarettes to this point. Um, and you think that if you get rid of the little cigars and e-cigarettes, they're not going to shift to something else? Just like they did when you did it to cigarettes? They just, they just, they're so clueless. They, they, these new products are using fruit, candy, mint, and menthol flavors to addict a new generation to tobacco. Because we know it's the fruit and candy flavors that addict them. And it's like that propaganda that just came out the other day that was talking about fruit and candy. You're like, why? It makes no sense. Why would kids buy these products because they taste good? Expensive, fairly expensive compared to going and buying the friggin' Skittles or the orange, you know, get an orange soda for 50 cents. You know, I mean, if they wanted flavors, there's much cheaper, easier, and legal things for them to do to get flavors. So this whole idea that the flavors are why the kids are using them is just, it doesn't make any sense that flavors have any reason. They're doing it because they think it's cool. They're doing it because their friends are trying it. And and they, they're just kids. Because they're, or because they're do things that I mean, they're told not to do. one thing we leave out of that discussion a lot is like, I think a lot of kids try these products and find that they do actually benefit from them. Right. Some whether do. it's through whether it's attention or nerves, stress, whatever the, you know, the life of a teenager in today's society is not simple. It's stressful, it's there's Curiosity. so much pressure that we put on these kids. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I smoked, you know? Cuz nicotine helped me. It helped my my focus, my concentration. It helped me deal with stress. It helped me sleep and relax at night when I couldn't otherwise. So yeah, I think a lot of kids do it because you know, it's cool. It's whatever. It's hip. It's fun. It's all the it's, things. But I think that, that there's a, a, a major group of youth who use these products because they're benefiting from them. And I think we all too often like to steer away from that very real point. And it's something that I I don't think we should do. I think we should acknowledge that that is a reason why some youth do use these products well it's the second time too they never explain that second time okay so i'm curious my buddy's got a vape oh that tastes like raspberry bubble gum or whatever cool whatever they're not addicted immediately to it no they're not, not dependent immediately on it so no. there's a reason that people go same thing with cigarettes there's a reason that all of us went and, and cigarettes didn't taste good, but we still all ended up regularly smoking them. And it wasn't because they tasted good. And if this idea that because, I mean, flavored cigarettes didn't really start to get big until I want to say the late 90s, early 2000s is when I started seeing flavored cigarettes, not clove, but the, um, let me get that one. Um, but the, uh, the peach flavor and the cream and the camel, you know, smooths or whatever. I can remember just, so I started smoking when I was 14 and I can still remember uh, camel having their signature series 
line of cigarettes out when I first started smoking. And it, it wasn't, they were, they were gone shortly after that, but I can remember there were like mint and like berry flavors and different things like that as well. Those were the ones that stuck out to me. I, I remember smoking them. Like I remember friends buying me those flavored camels and then yeah. they were gone. I, well, I think I was in my thirties and I first tried, I think it was like an orange cream flavor and it was awesome, but they were friggin' expensive. I had to go to a specialty <laughs> tobacco shop to find them because they weren't at the Cornell gas station, you know? And so this whole idea that, you know, a whole generation is getting addicted to tobacco because of these flavors just completely dismisses previous generations, many previous generations that didn't need any kind of special flavor and they can't explain that. I didn't get addicted to cigarettes if I, if you want to say addicted, but I didn't I didn't start regularly smoking the cigarettes. I didn't do menthol. I didn't like menthol. To me it was like that same feeling when you have orange juice and you brush your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's what menthol is like to me. Me, if meant tobacco was supposed to be a savory flavor, I don't know how to, except for the orange cream. I don't know. For some reason, I like that. Maybe as I got older, I don't know. But I'm just saying that this whole idea that these flavors are addicting these kids. So basically, it's just the, the ALA is patting itself on the back, and it likes to give these report cards out to pressure these states to do these, these laws that they call proven and effective, and they really can't ever prove that they're proven and effective because there's... The, the amount that the smoking rate was going down, you see it happen across the board, maybe not as fast in some states, but where they spend more money on education, you'll see a lot more results. And they really can't prove that it because usually like I forget what year it was around 2000 or 2009, somewhere in that area, it pretty much flatlined and wasn't really going down much. And then vaping hit and all of a sudden you're seeing it go down, 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 you know, on, across the board, youth, young adults, you know, inveterate smokers, people who, you know, have no intention of quitting and they're taking credit for that. You know, they're saying, oh, that was us. That was our taxes. That was our outdoor parking lot smoking bans. You know, I mean, <laughs> ah. but anyhow, I digress. But uh, yeah, that's my take. And I'm uh, yeah. Before we before we move forward, I did want to uh, note. Thank you, Joe Gitchell, for the correction here. Uh, I just read what I had written on my whiteboard, uh, and apparently I miss uh, I, I misspoke and did not get the right number. I don't know where I got that number from, but this is this is more uh, in line with what they say about um, uh, raising taxes on tobacco products, so reducing he demand says, by four to eight percent. And of course, that's different based on. Uh, different groups of, of people who smoke. Um, but uh, thank you, Joe, for the correction. And I had you three read little... that so he could, so that our listeners can. Oh, yeah. So uh, the correction to my statement is uh, uh, the price elasticity is in the neighborhood of negative 0.4 to negative 0.8. So a 10% increase would reduce demand by 4 to 8% increase in tobacco taxes. I had I had three little quick things um, about Kristen's take. Uh, one, two, actually, I guess, about the black market menthol cigarettes. Uh, Alex and I both live in a state uh, with reasonably high cigarette taxes, and we also live in a state where over 50% of the cigarettes sold in this state are illicit already. 
Um, so there is Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge demand uh, for cigarettes, regardless of uh, whether they are sold legally or they are sold out of backpacks. Um, so yes, there is a black market for cigarettes. It is very real. And Alex and I live in a state with a massive black market for cigarettes. Uh, second point, menthol cigarettes. You can literally go on Amazon right now and buy kits to make menthol cigarettes. Like that is that is a very real, very available, very accessible thing for anyone to do. Um, and what that may lead to for people at home who are inexperienced or whatever could potentially lead to harms uh, that don't exist in just buying menthol cigarettes. Uh, other harms, people harming themselves trying to make their own menthol cigarettes. Um, so there's another point about menthol. And I also, I, I think we just firmly disagree with, with the menthol ban in general for a lot of reasons. But, uh, and the last point was about little cigars, because this is something back in 2010 ish for me, um, struggling with work, struggling, um, with housing, uh, struggling with drug use when I didn't have a lot of money, my go-to was a pack of little cigars. I was never a, a, a regular little cigar smoker. If I could afford my cigarettes, I would get my cigarettes. But if I only could scratch up two, three bucks for smokes, a pack of little cigars down at the corner store was like a dollar eighty-five. You know, if I could scratch that up, yeah, they weren't. I didn't really enjoy them, but I would smoke them. You know, sort of better uh, than nothing type of because thing. Because they were better than nothing, absolutely. So. But I mean, their policies have literally killed people, if you think about it. I mean, look at Aaron Gardner oh, sure. because of the, the Lucy's ban. Yeah. Huh? Eric, Eric Gardner. I said Eric. Eric Gardner. You said Aaron. Yeah. I heard Aaron. Oh, I know. I said Eric. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I might Sorry. have slurred a little there. I don't know. I'm not drinking, I swear. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, dang, it's a little early. <laughs> right? Um, it's well, never too yeah, early. I suppose it is only four. But yeah, that's the thing is that look at what's happening in Massachusetts that yeah. – you know, people are just going across the border and they're bringing stuff in. And it's just if they and look what's happening in New Zealand. I mean, New Zealand's all proud of itself and talking about how it's going to get people to quit smoking because they're going to ban anybody who I think is currently 17 or whatever at this right now from ever having being able to buy tobacco ever. And then you go into another article from a day earlier and you can see that they have the second highest smuggling of cigarettes in the Pacific um what do you call that Pacific uh, region region? Yeah. The Pacific uh, Island region. It's that Pacific Island. There's another sure. name for it, but you know, Australia, New Zealand, that whole area right there. Um, and you know, I don't know if Indonesia did not say their side, but you know, what I'm talking about that whole area right there. Yep. They, they have the second highest smuggling rate. So they really think that banning these kids from ever having, being able to buy cigarettes is going to keep them from ever smoking because that works so well with like making pot illegal, making every other drug illegal. That worked so well, you know. Yeah. So anyhow, let's go. All right. Well, my take is going to be uh, a little shorter and sweeter. I suppose. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, my take this week is right here. I got our blog pulled up. I just need to figure out where I'm at here. Uh, this, we're going to talk about this NIH study. Oh, I actually have it. I had everything prepped and then I did all the things to undo all my prep. Oh no. That's fine. There you go. Uh, we're going to talk about this National Institutes of Health. 
e-cigarette use may lead some to quit traditional cigarettes. This was a study done um, recently, a team of researchers led by Dr. Karen Kaza, Kasa. I tried my best, Karen, Dr. Karen. Uh, Andrew Highland at the and Andrew Highland at the Rosewell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, they've been examining data collected between 2014 and 2019 and the population assessment of tobacco and health, the PATH study, a lot of people familiar with here. Uh, PATH is a long-term study of tobacco use patterns and health outcomes in the United States, and it is funded by the National Institutes of Health, National Institute on Drug Abuse. It's right in the name, you guys. Uh, NIDA and the FDA, Center for Tobacco Products, the FDA CTP. Uh, this study... We can take a little bit of a closer look at it. Uh, again, funded by NIH. Uh, this study was to evaluate whether e-cigarette use uh, is associated with discontinuing cigarette smoking among smokers. I really wish they'd put people who smoke who were initially never planning to quit. Um, and then right here, we can go down and see their results. Uh, overall, 6.2% of the population uh, discontinued cigarette smoking. Discontinuation rates were higher among those who used e-cigarettes daily compared with not at all. Uh, furthermore, 10.7% discon discontinued daily cigarette smoking with higher rates of discontinuation observed among those who used e-cigarettes daily compared with not at all. Uh, Non-daily e-cigarette use was not associated with cigarette discontinuation or daily cigarette discontinuation. So 6.2% of the 1,600 participants, 6.2% of that group discontinued cigarette smoking completely. 10.7% uh, of that group uh, discontinued daily cigarette smoking. So whether that means uh, a few cigarettes here or there, not fully, not fully switching uh, but stopping daily cigarette smoking. Uh, in this cohort study, daily e-cigarette use was associated with greater odds of cigarette discontinuation among smokers who initially had no plans to ever quit smoking. These findings support the consideration of smokers. Are we finally going to consider people who smoke who are not planning to quit when evaluating the risk-benefit potential of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation in the population? So that is the study. Um, and I, I think the biggest takeaway here is um, highlighting people who accidentally quit. Uh, this is something we've talked about in nauseam on this show. I believe we've done an entire episode as well on people accidentally, accidentally quitting uh, by switching to vapor products, whether they found one at a gas station. I mean, that's the first time I ever tried an e-cigarette. It was in 2011. It was out of pure curiosity with no intention to quit smoking. There are a lot of people who, who don't intend to quit with these products, buy them for whatever reason. Maybe they can use them at home, use them at work, use them wherever, uh, discreetly, whatever their reason or rationale may be. Uh, these are people here that we've, we, we're now actually seeing in data form uh, who have successfully quit. And I think this study uh, is particularly important because, again, it does come from the National Institutes of Health. It comes from right here. Um, we see time and time again, uh, anti-nicotine and anti-vaping organizations uh, making the claims that there's no evidence that these products help people quit smoking, yada, yada. Or the defense to that is, well, those studies that do exist are not from this country. They're from the UK. They're from wherever else. They don't apply to us in the population here in the United States. This is the United States. 
This is a study that supports that these products help people, even people who don't plan to quit. These products help them here in this country. So my take is, yeah, e-cigarettes help people quit smoking. Cool. <laughs> now we have now we have more data, more data, more research. That's my take. What well, is my... important to note that that the study wasn't done by NIH, but it was funded, it's by, funded them. by NIH, yes. And yes. also the FDA provided funding. So it's sort of this impeccable, yeah. impeccable funding sources. So they can't, so you know, the 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 anti-vaping people who want to come out and say there's no no evidence that this helps people people quit smoking. Here's your evidence, yeah, you know. And exactly. also the NIH is not endorsing vaping with this. It's not coming, it's it not personally coming out and saying, you know, yeah, we believe this and, and vaping is a good thing. It's still, it's basically, this is just a news piece from them. And Jim would like that specified, I think, because he yeah, came out with that, yeah. that this is not an endorsement from NIH. Uh, for vaping, but it is just them highlighting the uh, the results of this study that they they helped fund. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's significant that they actually did a news bit on it. To be honest with you, because yeah, they that, very that well could have just buried it and said we're just going to pretend that one never happened. This you know this, this this right here is from NIH, right? Um, and then you would have to kind of do what I did and uh, go down here to references to actually get that study, which is what we discussed here. Um, but yeah, this is this is NIH's, like you said, kind of, I don't know, press release, right. uh, news piece, what have you on it. Um, and again, uh, they highlight uh, the big key points here. And uh, a quote from Highland, uh, we found evidence that the use of e-cigarettes could have positive impact on this very hard to read. Oh, hard to reach group of smokers, Alex. Why are they so hard to reach? So um, my take on your take is that there's a middle school principal in Washington state who needs to read this study. Uh, and we will likely see more testimony along those lines uh, coming up where people deny all of our experiences where we quit smoking by switching to vaping. Um, so let that uh, note sink in for anybody who plans on testifying at any point this year. Uh, keep something like this in your back pocket because you will likely need to use some of your time to rebut claims that e-cigarettes don't help people quit smoking. Yeah. Which they kind of say all the time. I mean, and you constantly. not only as a magnificent anecdote who can share your story about how these products help you quit smoking, you now have hard data funded by NAH, NAH, NIH that you can bring with you. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of apropos. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Sometimes. Yeah. All right. That's it for my take. We will move swiftly along. Alex's hot, spicy take of the day. <laughs> so I, I, I am combining a, a couple of things here. Uh, first, I wanted to highlight, uh, this is not so much a, a, about a, an opinion from Cliff Douglas, but a pull quote that he grabbed from uh, some research, I believe, uh, that was part of uh, Reynolds. Um, this may have something to do with the, this is from the Reynolds, RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company, RA Services. Um, and uh, this gets into uh, the uh, abuse liability of their views products. Uh, I think there's three different products that they look into here. Um, but I, I really just wanted to focus in on the language of this quote that, that, that Cliff has pulled out here, which is, 
views solo has an abuse liability profile lower than that of combustible cigarettes, but higher than that of nicotine gum and may have sufficient abuse liability for product adoption by current adult smokers. I'm zeroing in on the word sufficient here uh, because this cuts both ways. Uh, for a little bit of background, this conversation about uh, people adopting vaping um, has been going on for uh, at least seven or eight years now, probably before, but uh, my sort of, as I remember it, the first time anybody sort of talked to me about this was in 2015. Uh, and I remember, I remember having a conversation with Oliver Kershaw uh, at ECC in California, and people were, were he was concerned, others, others were concerned about uh, a decline in, in vaping at the time. Uh, and the, the conversation was moving toward whether or not the current offering of electronic cigarettes was sticky enough for people. Uh, and so, you know, we've known for a while that uh, if, if people can't get the, a very similar experience to what they had from cigarettes, then it, it's harder to transition to some of these smoke-free alternatives. Uh, Kristen has a good story about her husband uh, needing snus. Uh, in order to fully transition away from combustion. I have my own experience where when I switched to the Sigalikes that I bought at convenience stores uh, on the weekend, uh, even when I, I got my Ego Twist and was able to use, you know, bottled e-liquid that I could choose, you know, a 24 milligram e-liquid, um, I was still using nicotine gum to kind of level things out. Uh, and so there is that transition and the, you know, the way that the science is going to talk about this, the higher the abuse liability uh, compared to, say, NRT or smokeless tobacco for e-cigarettes, or, or the higher abuse liability means that people are going to stick with it and, and, and more likely. However, the use of this word sufficient cuts both ways. And there is, you know, one of the criticisms of all of this promoting nicotine gum, nicotine replacement therapy, is that those products are designed to give you kind of bare minimum relief from any withdrawal symptoms you might experience from cigarettes. And the attitude to some extent is you should be satisfied with that. You should be okay with getting this minimal dose because smoking and drug use is bad uh, and you don't wanna be bad. So be good, accept what we give you. Uh, and so I, I just kind of wanted to highlight that use of the word sufficient um, and I, I can't really say that these authors are, are using it in the way that I'm sort of describing, but uh, it, it, it pokes its head up every now and then, and I kind of just wanted to, to speak to that. In the theme of the language that we're using to talk about all of this stuff, uh, Brad Rodu has a, a post up this week. Um, hold on, now I gotta do the thing where I mess up. Okay, um, <laughs> picture. Um, but uh, his, uh, his criticism of um, facts, if you will, uh, presented on FDA's website about smoke-free products. Uh, and one of the pull quotes, the pull quote he has here is uh, from, from the FDA's facts about uh, smokeless tobacco, I guess, uh, is, um, see, nicotine is what keeps people using tobacco. However, it's the thousands of chemicals and blah, blah, blah. Uh, again, zeroing in on one word here, which is the word keeps. Um, nicotine doesn't do anything. What we experience when we consume nicotine is our body's reaction to the molecule. 
but the nicotine molecule is not sentient. It doesn't make decisions. Uh, it's just a drug. It does not have magical powers. And so to kind of add, I think, to what Brad Radu is, is highlighting here is that the language around nicotine and generally around substance use assigns magical powers and sentience to inanimate drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not helping the conversation. That is part and parcel of a propaganda war uh, built on moral outrage. And it is intended to frighten people, shame people into abstinence. Uh, and that is, as we should have come to acknowledge by now, unproductive and ultimately keeps people in the dark and, and, and doesn't, doesn't, doesn't allow for a world where we uh, pursue or, or have access to safer alternatives. Um, so uh, that's kind of my, I, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm using my take time for this week. And I, and I feel like that sort of segues into um, what, what we're gonna be talking about for the deep dive. Yeah, really interesting and take on the, the language thing there. And, and it, I guess the first thing that, you know, satisfactory like pops into my head and it's like, for whom? You know, I mean, for you to feel comfortable with how much we're getting, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. you know, talking to the people who decide that it's you, we're giving you enough, you know, and it kind of harkens to the, the pain management uh, issue, you know, and what happened with that. And all of a sudden they just started scaling back so much on, on how much medication you can have because someone might abuse it. So, you know, we can only give you this much and, you know, insurance companies won't cover certain stuff. And, it just backfired so bad. And, and it's the same thing with the gums and stuff. It's like, oh, we have to make sure that they won't become dependent on it because Lord forbid that they become dependent on nicotine that's not going to kill them or anything. Yeah, I mean, so, language is so important when we talk about these things. You know, I, uh, it's, like, it, it's like the phrase, the war on drugs. It's not a war on drugs. We didn't rage war against, you know, bags of cocaine. It's a war on people. It's a war on drug users. Um, and like you, you talk about pain management. Yeah. I mean, that, that was insurance companies really for the most part. Um, and, and, a, and a, a lack of compassion and understanding from, from prescribers, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with people using opioids, opioids, there's a high tolerance involved. Uh, so to you or me who don't use opioids or to the common person, you say, oh, you know, so-and-so is taking 800 milligrams of whatever you go. Oh my God, that's enough to kill a horse. No, that's not quite how it works, maybe an opioid naive horse, but that's not how it works for the individual who's using that medication, who's developed a tolerance and, and who now needs a higher dose. Um, there's a lot of these things that we don't get into the nuance of, but language absolutely matters. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's that's all I really had to, to add on to that. And that's, that's what I kind of I highlighted in our last study. I really wish they would stop using the term smokers uh, and start using the words people who smoke. Um, just because language absolutely does matter. And the more that we can destigmatize uh, all of this, the better we all are. Here, here. That's it. Okay, cool. Are you guys ready to dive? Let's do Let's it. Deep dive. Because we do, we do have a hard stop today in like yeah. 23 minutes. So yeah. we're, we're going we're gonna to dive deep and dive quick. <laughs> oh. Oh. That was a quick...
Sorry, I had a twitchy trigger finger there, and I like I started it, and I was like, "Wait, no, did it click? I don't know if it clicked." <laughs> you guys got some cool, weird sounds that happened today. These are the, You're these welcome. Pitfalls of live TV, folks. Dangle clacks, dangle clacks, exactly, exactly. Nick would be so proud. Dangle. All right, sorry. Where, I promise where I'm going to set this up, and 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 we're going to go, and we're going to have a good discussion here. So. Uh, I'm going to start with something that may seem a little bit off from the topic, but um, I, I, I did want to throw up uh, Ethan Nadelman's tweet, I think, from you could have just you could have stopped your today. sentence. At, I just want to throw up when you put up a picture of Mike. That's all you could have just ended it right there. So I, I just want to stick my my fist down my throat uh, at the photo of, of Mike Bloomberg here. But the important thing is Ethan Nadelman's insight here, uh, which is just as most drug war proponents uh, shied from debate because they knew the evidence backed reformers. So Michael Bloomberg and his employees opposing tobacco harm reduction dare not meet or debate now. Um, seek this out. This is a, a post from uh, Mark Gunther on Medium uh, describing a, a, a letter, a, an open invitation to Mike Bloomberg to receive a, a presentation uh, on updated science and data the use of uh, smoke-free alternatives uh, and, and, and generally tobacco harm reduction. Uh, and of course, the Bloomberg has refused. Um, but I, I think this is sort of uh, emblematic of what we're going to move into here talking about um, Alex Norsh's recent article, um, which asks the question, are we seeing early signs of common ground in U.S. tobacco control? Uh, which is uh, an, an excellent uh, review of uh, a recent article, uh, I guess, sort of a, a letter uh, that uh, is in response to another article posted on the American Journal of Public Health. Um, but to get right to the point here, um, one of the things that the authors mention, and I'll, I'll bring up their, uh, let's see, let's look at their letter here. Um, and we have links to all of this stuff. Um, so if you want to read it, you can. It's it's relatively short. But one of the points that they, they bring up here, and I, and I hope that I'm not completely glossing over things, but um, the third point is this opponents slash supporters terminology highlighting division rather than the many areas in which there is agreement. Uh, and of course, uh, a lot of this, this conversation was uh, inspired by a tweet from our, our fellow board member, Jim McDonald, who uh, I think very correctly pointed out that it is not some made up dichotomy, it's very real and we experience this in very real ways, uh, a la people like Michael Bloomberg, who refuse to meet and refuse to accept updated information about harm reduction. Um, that article's in our blog, by the way, that one about Mike Bloomberg, so you can find it in our most recent blog post. Excellent. The link to read the article. Um, so I, I, it's this this idea that there's this this false dichotomy of supporters versus opponents, and they're sort of trying to rebut against that. I I'm not quite sure if um, I, I think I, I may be using this word inappropriately, but it, my first impression of this take from this group of researchers is that this statement is actually a bit more victim shaming than anything else. Um, there is absolutely a, an opponent supporter type of uh, uh, environment, and it's the people, it's us 
who are are sort of getting screwed by all of this. And which line seen, are you talking about? I, I'm sorry. What was the question? Which line were you talking about? So it's, it, it's, I'm still on the same thing. This whole idea that supporters and 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 an opponent, the the fact that that uh, this uh, group of authors who wrote a, a previous article talking about um, uh, you know balancing the concerns about risks and potential benefits of of e-cigarettes, uh, this the letter that we're talking about is a response to that and. Right. These authors are highlighting this, this sort of what they are calling is a false dichotomy about, um, or I don't know if they about sides or whatever. Is that the line you're talking yeah, about? So the the yeah. opponent supporters terminology is what they're saying. It, it needs to go away or be dealt with, or or that it, or that that's not real uh, in any way. Um, but it is very real, and the people who are on the sort of you know receiving end of of this conflict, are, it, it's us. It's 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 us. It's your children. Uh, it, it, we are the ones who are being sort of left out in the cold of this discussion. And we absolutely very clearly see opponents to what we would like to accomplish, which is improving public health. Uh, and it's, it's, I, I, I think I can go as far as to say that considering at, at least one of the authors on here, uh, this, this whole idea of promoting areas where we agree is, is somewhat, it, well, it's, it's very, it's disingenuous coming from people who have said things and, and actively worked to discredit anybody's support of tobacco harm reduction. Uh, and one of the things that I have sort of grabbed onto here is an article uh, authored in part by uh, Thomas Eisenberg, who is a, 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 an author on, on the article that we're talking about here, uh, including Simon Chapman, um, where he goes into uh, I believe this entire thing is about dismissing the Public Health England Royal College of Physicians uh, claim of 95% less harmful than smoking. Uh, just to be absolutely clear with everyone, uh, as far as I understand it and, and some of the conversations when this number was uh, proposed, 95% uh, less harmful is actually a made up number. Uh, that is a number that uh, people decided was going to be palatable and digestible and understandable by folks. Uh, it is not an accurate portrayal of risk. The real number is 98 to 99% less harmful than smoking. But that's a difficult number for people to wrap their head around. And of course, there were warnings and discussions about how this at a later date would be, you know, torn to shreds is not being a credible number. Um, and Thomas Eisenberg is one of the people who has jumped onto that fight uh, in, in saying that the 95% safer estimate is a factoid, unreliable information repeated so often that it becomes accepted as fact. Interesting. Ooh, who does that all the time? <laughs> would point that out and lead that comment when I believe this article also gets into things like gateway theory, which is, again, assigning, in a way, magical powers and sentient to nicotine. Uh, which is just not reality. Um, so for these authors to come out and and kind of chastise uh, another group of researchers, and I guess by proxy all of us uh, for taking this 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 view that there is an opponent supporter dichotomy within uh, you know tobacco control, just society in general on this issue. Um, I, I I lost my thought there, but it, anyway, it's it's all very essentially they're right. saying that there is no opposition, like a pro con thing that people are fighting and you guys shouldn't be saying that that's not true. And it is true. They, they're the 
original authors were absolutely right, but there's there's this them and us thing going on. There's this yeah, there you know, is a for and against and thing that feels- is going on, and they're essentially lying, saying, "Oh, that's not true. We really agree more than we disagree," which is absolute baloney too. <laughs> but go ahead. I did. Did that kind of come back to you yet? What you were going, where you're going with that? Yeah, sort of. I, I think you know, uh, the, you know, one of the points I think to to make is that you know, if 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 these if this group of of researchers believes that uh, the opponent supporter dichotomy is unproductive or highlighting that is unproductive, then stop fueling it. Stop being part of the machine that is providing. Uh, uh, data and information out of context in a way that is moving policy. Uh, I'm sure that some of these authors have had their work cited in uh, preambles to legislation. It's been brought up in city councils. It's probably been brought up in private meetings, lobbying efforts uh, on Capitol Hill and in state houses. Uh, And it has been used to promote coercive, harmful policies that take these products away from people. The other thing I wanted to mention is, and, and I, I think I'm veering off course here, but, uh, you know, oh yeah, no, I'm not veering off course because we're focusing on this article. Um, <laughs> the other thing that they kind of bring up here is this notion that proponents of tobacco harm reduction are recommending this as the only way to move forward. The only Tools solution. In the toolbox. Tools in the toolbox. Yeah. I, I just want to make it clear that is categorically unequivocal bullshit. Um, yeah. And I the will only say solution, that. nobody said that. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one has said that. In fact, the article that they are responding to, let me see if I can get that back here. Um, yeah, has an entire section. Let's see. Uh, where is it? Oh, yeah. Seeking a sensible mix of policies. So... I, I don't know whether or not this qualifies as gaslighting uh, or some it's other. It's that right. That's form. the only word that's been in my head for the last like five minutes about this. <laughs> Straw man argument is whatever. gaslighting because like, nobody... that's what this is. Yeah, they're you're, arguing you're 100% something. You're 100% right to throw that term out there because I've just been sitting on this little nugget this whole time waiting to throw that word at you. <laughs> and You put it out there. So, yeah, this is gaslighting. Yeah. Well, the thing that got me in that other dichotomy paragraph was that the, the beginning part of that was, um, now I scrolled down because I was trying to find the other one. We strongly encourage the scientific community to consider how e-cigarettes in all of their heterogeneity of design and use patterns perform in the real world when making conclusions about their effects and move away from the opponents slash supporters false di- dichotomy saying, you know, Stop saying that we're we're being bad guys and let's look at what's happening in the real world. Except they refuse to look at what's happening in the real world. They they look at studies that showed trace amounts of this, that, or the other thing, or have links to this, that, or the other thing without actually showing any kind of cause and effect, and refuse to talk to us, refuse to talk to the people actually using it, refuse to do that with because we're the real world. We're the real world. And and yet they refuse to actually, so they're, they're, they won't even go with, with what they're saying they're doing. You know, they want us to do, oh, we should, you know, see how these really perform in the real world. No, you don't. You have no interest to see how they perform in the real world. You just want 
to confirm your biases. That's all you want. Yeah, no, it's absolutely gaslighting. It's a whole lot of, um, you know, we're up here on the hill. We're going to make decisions for you. We want you all to stop seeing this as a, a fight and a squabble. And we want you to sit down and 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 listen to what what we're going to do. It's just really I think you used a really good term there earlier, Alex, and it, it, it's disingenuous. It's it's discounting uh, real people and their their fight for this. Um it, it's just disingenuous to, to well, and Alex asked a good question before the show. He said, did they even read the letter they're responding to? Because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they did because they didn't. I mean, it's, it's got its own section. It's got bold type. How can you miss it? Sensible mix of policy. They're recommending in, in the, the article that they're responding to. They're recommending things like taxation and 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 marketing restrictions and you know, some things that we would consider to be coercive, reducing access type policies, which, by the way, this is the other thought that I didn't, I'm sorry to go on and interrupt you and just go on, but it was, uh, you know, uh, 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 the only tool, the yeah. only tool in the tobacco control toolbox is reducing access. Yeah. That's it. I don't Everything's care what the nail and they're we, the hammer. If, if we think that nicotine replacement and all of the other bird watching and hypnosis and whatever, if those, if we think that those are things that they are recommending in order for us to be successful in quitting smoking, it's, it's a kind of really, it's, it's more about you should be satisfied with the resources that we are providing you now that we've taken your access away. And so that's, that's been their agenda the whole time. And so it's for people sufficient. to come out, for, for people to, yeah, for people to come out and say oh you guys only want no regulation ever this I mean this this response is is again part and parcel with uh, what the truth initiative put out in there trying to educate everybody what harm reduction is all about which again I will put that in the category of unequivocal bullshit um, so and I, I will put the links I strongly recommend that you know the link I put the link in the chat but when I do the description tomorrow, um, or Monday, whenever I get to it, but, uh, it's in the article that Alex Norsha did click those links and read the original letter that he's talking about and the letter that he links to, that they're responding to. Cause this is Alex's sort of Norsha's interpretation of this. And he kind of calls it an olive branch and we just don't see that. Um, but I strongly recommend you read what they responded to them and compare it to what they're supposedly responding to. And that's basically what most of my talking points are on this. So I'll let you kind of wrap up what you want to finish saying, and I'll try to real quick go through what I wanted to talk about. Sure. Is there um, anything well, else? I, I guess, I, I guess, you know, I can't, you know, be all critical without offering solutions. And so I think if there is a solution, if you do, if, if people in, if, if opponents of tobacco harm reduction want to, you know, heal the divide here, then stand up, stand up and start calling out other researchers, start, stand up and start calling out these activist organizations who are misrepresenting your work. I think that's I think that would be a good start. If, if I'm going to consider this to be an olive branch, they need to start calling out the bullshit that they see if they even see it, because they got to read the letter first. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, true. I, I swear, I agree with you. It's like it's like they didn't. I'm like, is this the right letter? Am I reading the right thing that they're responding to? Because they gave three... really, it just feels really dismissive to me. It's like yeah. dismissing all of us and our and our. 
like, no, you just and don't our know. stories and our you success, know. you know that. Yeah, like you know, you just don't know. We're the we're the experts. We're the experts. Let us figure it out for you. Let Patronizing us tell you. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, and it's if you yeah. if you read if you read the the letter they send back, they give three points. Uh, first point, they said many investigators believe that e-cigarettes have potential benefits for smokers in theory. Um, and that right Not there is like, practice. that's dismissive. What matters is how these products perform at the individual and population levels in practice and their effects on reducing tobacco-related disparities. These effects mm. depend in large uh, part on how the products are regulated and marketed. So they ignore all the actual vapors reporting how vaping has worked. Plus, they've worked, you know, quite well without regulation. These products helped more people quit smoking before the FDA ever got involved, you know, and it was on an upward uh trajectory of helping even more until their regulations started kicking in and their lies about things like Evali, um, you know, and state regulations and stuff like that. And I mean, cause the only thing FDA is authorized is something that's outdated and less appealing and less effective and all their stuff that they recommend that they want these people to do instead of just recommending tobacco harm reduction like state regulations, like flavor bans and stuff also make them less appealing and more expensive and people less likely to use them. So it's like, it's like everything they're doing on one side, they're saying, yeah, we need to, you know, we could use this as a tool, but on the other hand, they're doing everything they can to make it unappealing, more expensive and hard to get, you know? <laughs> and the second one they had was e-cigarettes comprise a heterogeneous class of products and thus their short and long-term harms and benefits are likely to vary according to device characteristics. They list things composition of liquid, how people use them, how individual companies advertise and promote them. And I read that and I'm like, yeah, that's what makes them work. Having that variety is what makes them work for a greater amount of people and why your nicotine gums and patches don't work. And then the last thing was the quote unquote opponent supporters terminology highlights division rather than the many areas in which there is agreement, which if you go in and read the letter, there's nothing. Um, most scientists would agree that balancing the risks and benefits of e-cigarettes for the individual cigarette smoker is critically important, but would also agree that tobacco-naive youths should not start using e-cigarettes, not only because of concerns about whether they will go on to use cigarettes, let's throw the gateway thing out of there, um, but also because the unknown short and long-term effects of e-cigarettes on health. So they're completely ignoring the point of the letter which was written which was saying we need to stop focusing so much on the small risk to youth of possibly and getting dependent and not and and what their risk compared to adults who smoke and go, go back and say, well, we need to really consider the youth. I mean, they just went yeah. right back to it. Yeah, is what they you did. know, they're they're concerned about gateway theory. They're they're unfounded, they're scientifically disproven, illogical concerns. Those are valid concerns. But the whole point of the letter was, okay, we understand you have a problem with worrying about youth, but we need to also look at how this is helping with the actual problem. And they basically just circled right back around and said, but youth, that's what they said. <laughs> I mean, that's it's essentially what they did. That's what I'm telling people, read that thing. It's it's you like know. they didn't read the letter they were responding to. Yeah. And nobody yeah. said that they were the, my last point was nobody said they were the only, the only solution that THR was the only solution. Yeah. Never once was that said in the letter. And they're the ones who refuse to consider how vaping is performing in the real world by ignoring the real world experiences of us. That they I mean, I, how many conversations have we had just here on this this program about 
tools in the toolbox, whether we're discussing vapor products, whether we're discussing snus or nicotine pouches or smokeless tobacco or gums, lozenges, sprays, pharmaceutical products, we, we strive or tend to strive to make that a point that these are all tools in the toolbox. For some, they're more effective than others. For certain groups of people, they may be more effective than others. And for a lot of people who are current uh, e-cigarette users, current vapors, tried all of those other means first. It's just ridiculous to think that that you know tobacco harm or that that vaping, that advocates or or experts or whoever is out there saying it's the only thing. Everything else is bad. This is the only thing we need. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Skip, that's the whole point. Skip said we really need a get together of all sides and start talking. And that was kind of the point of Mark Gunther's article: is they won't. They, <laughs> they won't. How won't many times have we tried? Yeah. I mean, it's an annual. There is an open invitation every year to tobacco control people to come and attend the e-cigarette summit. Yeah. Uh, and 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 some of them do. Uh, and there has been some robust discussion and debate uh, because of their presence. And then other times they show up. Uh, the first time, the first e-cig summit here in the United States, uh, they the the tobacco control folks insisted on someone showing up. And uh, this gentleman presented research that was had had been debunked at least a year before he presented it, and it was received with gasps and sighs. Uh, and he went back to his buddies in tobacco control and said, they booed me at the conference. Nobody booed. Everybody just, uh, it was it was an automatic reaction to the nonsense that was presented. So, you know. To go back it, to this like false Even dichotomy. when they do show up to the kumbaya moment that has been set up for them, they can't follow through. They've got to yeah. come up, they've got to bring their propaganda and, and bullshit. And, and nobody's given up, Skip, because she said we can't give up. They're not. They've, they've, they've again, read that, Mark. Gunther article, they've they're still sending in letters saying, Can we try again? Let's do this. Yeah, and yeah. but but they're the they're just giving a the other side is giving the smoke screen of, you know, oh yeah, we're all in, we're all on board, but you're the ones who are, are making it all look like it, there's this conflict. There's no conflict here. Don't you know, don't look behind the curtain. There's no conflict. Right, right. That that <laughs> false dichotomy. If you want to look at a false dichotomy or, or a dichotomy, you've got a group, you've got supporters who are actively inviting. The opposition to the table, come sit with us. Here's an open invitation. We want to have this discussion. So on one side, you have people inviting you to the table and the other side denying, don't want to be at the table, don't want to join. Thanks for the invite. We're going to decline. If that's not a dichotomy, I don't know what is. Yeah. they, they. So that's, I mean, I think the whole point of this is that a lot of people, you know, Alex Norsha said, is this a, is this an olive branch? Does this really seems like an olive branch? It, it really isn't. It, it really isn't. It's, it's just a, it's, it's a clap back like, or something. I don't know what the better, what better term for it is, you know? I, I, um, I will say, um, you know, for, and, and I, I, we, we have a hard stop at six o'clock, so I'm just going to try to sum things up really quickly here. But, um, you know, when trying to find a bright side to all of this stuff uh, and, and try to get some optimism here, this, this letter from these authors um, in, in response to another article is, I think this is sort of the death knell of their movement. Um, these, the, we, are, we are seeing people who are backed into a corner at this point. Yeah. Uh, 
they have steadfastly uh, uh, advocated in favor of coercive public health measures to get people to quit smoking, to, uh, to physically, it, it, in some cases, move them off of smoking. Uh, and, and now we are starting to see that there are alternatives. These alternatives are, are, are part of the toolkit and uh, make this whole thing a lot more productive and will save lives. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we sort of talked about at some point, I think, is, or at least that I've, I've been thinking about, is you don't want to back these folks too far into the corner because they just dig in their heels and they do shit like this. Um, you know, it, it's, I think to some extent, we're going to see going forward some of these people who have been steadfast supporters of coercive tobacco control measures um, trying to find an escape hatch. And, and I just want to say, you know, that escape hatch is always there. It has always been there. All you have to do is step up and tell the truth and, and stop doing this gaslighting nonsense that comes out of people or comes out of organizations like Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids and the Truth Initiative. That's their playbook. Uh, yeah. It's a, you know, they, they are actively working to dismiss the voices of real consumers who have had real success with these very real products and are very real supporters of tobacco harm reduction and other sensible policies that can make these products safe and effective for everyone. And I hate using that word safe, the phrase safe and effective, but whatever. Right. So. Sort of appealing. I'm, and I'm just going to really say to add my, my positive take from this is I've been doing this since 2009 and I should take a moment and just sit back and bask in the fact that all these <clears throat> former tobacco control people wrote a letter like that. Even if the people on the other side didn't get it, it, it was a dream to have. Are you have talking about the letter to Bloomberg? I'm talking about the good, the pro, the pro THR letter, the pro vaping letter, the one that says this should be a tool, the one that says we should listen oh, okay. to the adults, you know, right. who are vaping and stuff. It's a dream to have people like this finally on our side, you know. So that it's not everybody, but we should take a moment and let that soak in and go, wow, that that's a huge step. And it, you know, it happened a while ago, but I mean, it's still don't forget that. Don't don't think that we're not getting anywhere because 2009 to have some of these people even bother to try to write to even acknowledge it publicly, let alone put their name on a letter like this saying, look, vaping is working. It, you guys need to stop lying about it. And it's essentially what they're saying to me. That's, that, that's something else you guys, that, that really is. So that's the good thing. Let's just ignore the other letter. <laughs> Tell them that they're full of crap. Well, and no, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Don't ignore you know it. what I'm it's saying? What I'm saying more. is let's not lose that. Cause I think Skip is feeling like a little bit frustrated here too. And I think let's not lose that. Let's not lose that, that we've got that many people on our side from tobacco control. Now one, five years ago, we had zero. Yeah. You know, not, not including people like, you know, uh, Clive and stuff like that, who've been on our side, who are kind of former, former tobacco control. <laughs> I just want to channel, right I just want to channel my inner Helen, Helen uh, Redmond here and not wait another 10 years. And I think that we should all go sit down at the FDA. <laughs> I, that's what I, I, I that one. but that, that's the, uh, I don't know. That's just me. That's the, <laughs> that's the, I'm, I'm tired of Kumbaya and, uh, and gaslighting, but. 
if anybody wants to go sit down at the FDA with me, just let me know. DM me it's at Logan Exhales. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's going to happen. It's eventually going to happen. It's just hard to do it with the pandemic going on and people like having a or, lot more I'm, stuff. I'm, to... I'm triple vaxxed. I'll wear a mask. We're all good. Well, we and can a lot of people are struggling financially because of all of this and stuff too. And remember our, our base, our membership, a lot of them you know, came from smoking. So a lot of them are amongst those groups that have the highest smoking rates, which aren't necessarily Absolutely. rich white people with private planes, you know? Absolutely. You <laughs> so, can skip, but we're not waiting 10 years to do it. No, I don't. I, I think it's, <laughs> hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll be soon. Yes, definitely. All right. That, I believe that is where we're going to wrap this up. Excellent discussion. Excellent discussion. Lots of gaslighting. But remember, guys, nothing about us without us. We do need to be present at the table. Our voices deserve to be heard. And speaking of our voices, if you have not yet joined CASA, do it. Do it right now, right after this show. Or if you got to go early, leave right now. Go over to CASA.org, C-A-S-A-A.org. Become a member today. It's absolutely free. Please share your testimony. Uh, we have a testimonies page where you can share your success, share your story uh, about the products that you you used or are currently using to help you stop smoking, to transition away from combustible products. Those stories are quintessential to all of our success in this. Um, also, for podcast listeners, I think I'm going to get this one up early just because of stuff going on in Maine on Monday. Uh, so I'll probably most likely have these podcasts out tomorrow, Sunday, as opposed to Monday morning. Uh, but there will be two versions of this podcast. You'll be able to listen to a shorthand legislative rundown with just kind of our hey, how are you's and Alex going through all the incredibly important, important things right now. Um, and then there'll be a full version. You can tune into the entire podcast as well. Uh, other than that, uh, if you're if, if you're interested in new merch that Casa has up, not only do you get to rep some sweet swag, but you also get to support Casa in a really cool way by doing that. I think I think that's it. Link in the blog uh, post. Yep. Um, next week, Kristen will not be joining us next week, but we will still have a program. Alex and I had to do some cool uh, brainstorming winter grandbaby Addie. Uh, and uh, and figure out what exactly uh, our plans are for the show. But as far as we know, we will absolutely have a show next week. Uh, just not entirely sure what the panel is going to look like. Maybe Alex and I will just sit here and have like a, a rave at home with flashy lights and give it <laughs> Oh, sure, you do that when hopefully. I'm not here. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do any of that stuff. But <laughs> we will have a show next week, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 over on the other coast. you got to figure it out anywhere else around the world. Do some math, Google foo. I don't know, whatever you got to do. But that's it, everybody. Be excellent to each other. Stay safe out there, especially folks in the New England area right now. Stay safe. Take care of each other. Remember, nothing about us without us, you guys. We will be back next week. Take us away, Kristen. Bye.